0: You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app, or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. right. so tonight, tonight we're going to be talking about the freedom that is in Christ versus the obligation that is inherent in following after the law of Moses. As we have come to Galatians 5, uh, verse 1 through 15, that's the closing argument on the doctrinal section of the book. Paul had stated from the outset that his gospel was from God, not from men. And then he had given a biographical section uh, to establish that point. And then in chapter 3, he began in earnest in chapters 3 and 4 to set out the case of faith in Christ and the superiority of that way over the way of the law of Moses. And now we come in chapter 5 beginning to the conclusion of that line of argument. So that line of argument is being, being wrapped up. Then we'll have the practical section. So a lot of New Testament books, especially those from Paul and Peter as well. Those general epistles and epistles to churches are often divided... <coughs> into what is called the doctrinal uh, and the practical, or the doctrinal and the ethical. We we are wrapping up the doctrinal section in verses 1 through 14. Let's read that whole closing statement, that whole closing argument, as it were, and then let's look at the beginning of it tonight in detail. So Galatians 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore keep standing firm, And do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen From grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from Him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I preach still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who troubled you would even mutilate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you not be consumed by one another. So that is the closing argument. In the doctrinal section of Galatians, it hits the themes that we have uh, seen commonly before from chapter 2, verse 16, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That in chapter 3, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, quoting Genesis fifteen six, Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. You might be a son of Abraham, he went on to argue, but that doesn't mean you're free if uh, uh, it was intended uh, that you would have all things, but if you're under age, uh, you're still in bondage. So uh, chapter three twenty three before faith came, we were held in bondage under the law, imprisoned until faith should come. But the law was the guardian or schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And then in chapter four. Now, as long as one is an heir, he's not different at all from a slave, though he's the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. And so we have a lot of bondage. We had a lot of people in slavery. We had a lot of people, though they were sons of Abraham, uh, who were not free, uh, who were not enjoying all the benefits, who could not uh, have that by spirit of adoption Closeness to come and cry out, Abba Father. And Paul had just ended the last section, the next to last be- uh, argument, that before the closing one. In chapter 4, when he said Abraham had two sons, one was by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. That's four twenty-two. 22. But by the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son of the free woman by the promise, allegorically speaking. These women are two covenants. one proceeds from Sinai, bearing children who are slaves. She's Hagar. This Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is slave in slavery with her children. but we instead are free. The Jerusalem from above is free. she is our mother. And so this closing statement, Uh, wraps up these themes of freedom and bondage, uh, which have been so uh, common through the book of Galatians. And so Paul is offering them, as he concludes, the freedom that's in Christ as contrasted to that bondage which is in the law. So we do need to understand this is the freedom of which uh, Paul speaks I have a book somewhere in the stack of books behind me. Uh, I can name the fellow, but uh, it's a it's a book based on antinomianism. It's it's arguing for a total freedom from just about any restriction, and it's called "Free in Christ," uh, based on the uh, words of this passage. Uh, but it's not an antinomian, uh, a, a, a contrary to all law, freedom that is being promised here. It's not freedom as however you would define it. Uh, some uh, would define freedom in terms of economic systems, free systems and free enterprise systems uh, versus uh, more directly controlled and uh, command economies. You will do this versus you're free to do whatever you want. It, that's, the, it, that's not the freedom here. It's not economic freedom. It's also not a democratic political freedom. It's not uh, the freedom of democracy uh, versus some kind of authoritarianism. That's not the freedom uh, that is here. It's not freedom of speech uh, that's that's here. It's not even, as we'll look through the books of the New Testament, it's not even freedom from slavery. Uh, for those who were called into Christ as slaves, uh, they many times remained as slaves and were faithful in their service to their master while they were free in Christ in heaven, so it's certainly not then uh, freedom to do sinful things. It's not free to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, abusive of various substances. Oh, I'm free in Christ; I can do what I want. It's not sexual uh, license and licentiousness. It's not that freedom. It's not freedom from responsibilities. Uh, there's a lot of freedoms it's not, but it's it's the freedom from the law. It's the freedom to be adopted into the family of God. It's the freedom to be a friend of Jesus, not just a servant or a slave, but a friend and a brother uh, with our master and with our our leader. He treats us as friends, though he is Lord of all. And if anyone ever could be authoritarian, uh, dictatorial, uh, could be uh, just uh, unlimited in their power, Uh, to rule and reign and their might to make others do uh, uh, and follow uh, by fiat what they say, it would be our Father in heaven, and it would be the one who uh, is the perfect representation of him. They could have that power and would be the most right to ever use it. But instead, uh, Jesus came sympathetic to us as one of us, as a friend to sinners, to justify the ungodly, and to bring us uh, through faith in this system uh, of, of uh, freedom, of kindness, of mercy, and goodness. So, come enjoy, Paul says, that freedom uh, which is in Christ. And then, in verse, as one, verse 1 continues... He says, keep standing firm and don't be subject again to the yoke of slavery. So again, there's a lot of different kinds of slavery in the world. We won't go through them all. But there's one kind that these brethren had been under, many of them. Raised as Jews, raised under the law, under that yoke which the Apostle Peter had said, a burden on our necks uh, which neither we or or our fathers were able to bear. Stand firm against that yoke. You've got the freedom in Christ. Don't willingly submit to that yoke of slavery again. Again, it's not every kind of slavery we could possibly mention that's outlawed here. It's the slavery of the law. Don't go to the law. The the, uh, Judaizing teachers, I sometimes wonder, (coughs) other than tradition and other than God used to say this, what the appeal was for the law. Uh, They can certainly give verses that said uh, what people in different circumstances, those of the Jews, needed to do as responsibilities. But what was the appeal to people to follow this uh, once they had the freedom that was in Christ? Once they had the Spirit, again, the Spirit, as we found back in chapter 3, they did not even know of under the law. But now they have the Spirit, and now they have Uh, this great hope of all the things they had been following in the law, realized, why would they go back to the state where it was unrealized? But it is, instead, this yoke of slavery, whatever advantage there was to it, uh, again, must have been tradition being a powerful force for it, but this oppressive yoke is gone. Don't go back under it. And don't think you can only keep the traditions of it you like. Don't think you can partially keep the law don't think you can bind on others some things of the law either you're in the system of christ or you're in the system of the law verse 2 behold i paul say to you so he says behold so take note that if you receive circumcision christ will be of no benefit to you so let me just pause let me just tell you i'm telling you now i paul all right, Paul is speaking directly to you, he says. If I were to pause and say, hey, this is what Jay says. I'd have whatever authority Jay has uh, to bear on the matter. Well, Paul has considerable authority. Jay's Jay's pause and saying, hey, Jay says, probably doesn't. But when Paul says, behold, look, I'm the apostle. I'm telling you, circumcision, it's less than nothing. If circumcision is a detriment. Circumcision, if you receive it, will make Christ of no benefit to you. You want to live by the things of the law? Even the most basic thing of the law, even the most traditional thing of the law, if you receive circumcision, Christ is of no benefit to you. The common call of the gospel is there's no other name given among he- in heaven or among men whereby we must be saved, Acts 4.12. Christ is the only name and only way of salvation. And so you can have him, Paul says, or you can have circumcision. What would circumcision get you? Well, it was a sign of the covenant. It was given to Abraham when his name was changed to Abraham. It was given as a sign and uh, of the covenant, uh, of the promises that God was going to give Uh, to Abraham and his descendants. But if you had that now, you're going to get what Abraham's physical descendants get. Circumcision got you what Abraham's physical descendants got. And what do we already see back in chapter 4? Those physical descendants of Abraham, uh, of the Jews following after the things of Sinai, were placed in exactly the same place as those physical descendants of Abraham via Ishmael were. Children of the bondwoman, children of slavery, not children of the promise, not children with the inheritance, not children with the blessings. So, in circumcision, you get what circumcision got you. It got you those things of the law, it got you nothing of Christ. Now, whenever we say that, and we say that Paul said these words, that circumcision is no benefit, we do note that, yes, there was a time, and it is recorded faithfully in Acts 16 and verse 3, where the apostle Paul had Timothy circumcised. Acts 16:3. Paul wanted this man, that's you know, young man Timothy, to go with him. He took him and circumcised him, because of the Jews in those parts, because they all knew his father was a Greek. And so Timothy was circumcised, it appears, so that he could uh, help Paul uh, in the teaching of the gospel in the synagogues, and also because uh, this man had a Jewish and Gentile ancestry, uh, the fact that he was not circumcised would have been an offense and a stumbling block to the cause of the gospel. And so, because of his personal circumstance, known to be of a mixed heritage, Paul, for the benefit of earthly things, access to the synagogue, not to be a a hindrance in, in speaking to everybody. Imagine if you had to spend the first 30 minutes of every conversation explaining why this fellow wasn't circumcised. So, Paul had him circumcised for those benefits and practicalities of an earthly realm. He didn't have him circumcised so that it would make his standing better before Christ. When there was a test case of whether or not Gentiles needed to be circumcised, Galatians 2 and 3 says not even Titus, who was with us, though he was a Greek, was was compelled to be circumcised. And so uh, Timothy, uh, with a Jewish mother, yeah, he probably should have been circumcised, but he wasn't. And that would have been a stumbling block. Titus never should have been circumcised. There was no reason to think he ever would be. He's a Gentile, not a Jew. And Paul says, we're not binding that on him. And so that is the standard message of the gospel. We do note there was an exception at one time when for other reasons, beyond just uh, reasons of gospel, that one was circumcised. And so today, there are some who are circumcised beyond reasons of the gospel. As it turns out, many of the restrictions of the law have a helpful and healthy benefit to them. And so are, the, are those who keep some parts of the law today, including uh, circumcision, uh, that it has a, a helpful thing, as a helpful thing. And maybe in some uh, cultures, an expected thing. But there's a, that's a cultural reason, that's a health reason, that's a personal reason to be circumcised. He's not saying that circumcision disqualifies you from Christ but it certainly doesn't qualify or recommend you to Christ. Like he will say in a moment, it means nothing. So what I do tell you, if you're taking it religiously, here's the thing. Verse three, I testify again to every man who receives circumcision. So we're talking about this in the religious obligation sense. You are under obligation to keep the whole law. If you're going to bind and keep the law, you're bound to keep the law. That's the way the law works. The law doesn't have a cafeteria plan. It's not like the uh, benefit package that you get from your employer. I'll have some of this benefit and some of that. That one doesn't benefit me too much. I'm going to leave that off. That benefit they have, ah, eh, that's not very beneficial. I don't want it. That benefit they got is too expensive. I don't want it. Oh, I like that one. Let me have some of this on the bottom of page three. I'm going to get my form out and I'm going to check which one. And and heaven help those poor people in HR who have to keep up with that. Uh, You know, how many employees picked how many different options? Somebody's got to keep up with all that. Well, when it comes to, though, the religion of Christ, there is no set of cafeteria plan options where everybody gets to pick the responsibilities and benefits that they themselves would like to have. On the law, you're either in or you're out. In the gospel, in faith in Christ, it appears the same. You're in or you're out. Are you going to follow Christ in trusting faith? Or are we going to go with this law business? If you're going to go with this law business, look at verse 3. You're under obligation to keep the whole law. All right, you want circumcision? You want circumcision? Let's help you out with that. Let's get you circumcised. And then let's, uh, let's make sure uh, you know your local priest. Make sure you know a good source for your local turtle doves and your lambs uh, and, and your oxen, uh, your red heifers. Uh, make sure so many communities got that taken care of. Uh, your, your kosher dietary restrictions and all of that. Let's make sure uh, that you've got that. Uh, make sure to set your, your clock right because uh, we're going to make sure we keep the Sabbath. We got some festivals to keep. Might as well get yourself a good travel agent. You're going to rack up some uh, frequent flyer miles today, getting to and from Jerusalem. Uh, back then, I don't know if, the, uh, if those uh, Roman uh, sea boats uh, that they took uh, around the Mediterranean, I don't know if they had uh, fr- frequent uh, traveler points or not, but uh, there's a lot of folks going to be getting whatever reward system they've got from those travel people because a lot of people need to be going to Jerusalem. There's a lot of precepts. There's a lot of things. There's, there's things about tassels there's things about haircuts there's things about fabrics there's things you can't imagine how many things there are that you need to do you're going to keep that whole law all those ceremonial parts all those civil parts all those moral parts you, you, whatever parts you got it's going to, it just comes as a package it comes the law comes as a package and that's why peter said man that we couldn't bear that yoke we well, don't want to put that package of stuff back on the brethren. Well, what was it James said about those who thought they were good because they did so many things of Christ, but they were partial? Uh, they were unfair toward folks. He uses the principle of the law uh, to tell Christians about what they're doing. James 2, verse 9. If you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point he's become guilty of all for he says do not commit adultery and also do not commit murder now if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder you become a transgressor of the law so paul says you're going to need to sign on for the whole thing and james says if you offend in one you offend in all and what happens once you offend the law? You're a transgressor. And what did the law do about making anything perfect? I read the book of Hebrews. It didn't do anything about making things perfect. It was hoping uh, for the perfection of Christ to come. Well, you stepped outside of the Christ who came. I don't think you're going to be in either very good shape at all. So in the law, there is only a full bondage. There's not a bit in pieces. And pieces and parts, and and I do wonder about some of these folks today, uh, so-called messianic Christians and and Christians who are in their religious uh, practices and their congregations. Uh, they're basing it on so many Jewish things. Uh, Christian congregations uh, who, in some way, keep um, Sabbaths. Uh, they keep uh, various festivals, and you know, hey, getting together once a year at the shofar and blowing the ram's horn—that might be kind of fun. But if you're telling people that's what we got to do as Christians, uh, you've just signed on to a whole lot of things. It's not just the blowing the horn and wearing a blue and white shawl and uh, reciting a few things from the Psalms uh, with the cantor in Hebrew. It's it's not just those fun and games things. It's the deadly serious business of every single commandment that the law ever had. And so it's going to be a thing of bondage. So you can either have Christ. Or you can have the law. Paul puts it that starkly. You can have Christ, or you can have the law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law. Justification by the law makes you severed from Christ. a little bit later, down in verse 12, Paul's going to bring up cutting again. Uh, when, when the Apostle Paul says down in verse 12, I wish those who would trouble, or trouble you would even, this translation says, mutilate themselves. It's the same word of cutting that means like amputation. It's the same word when Jesus says, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your foot offends you, cut it off. Uh, The same word is used in a literal sense when uh, the um, Roman soldiers in the boat in Acts 27 that Paul was on, they cut the ropes uh, that that tied the boat to the other boat. They, they, They cut the ropes. And so there's this cutting, there's this severing that comes by trying to connect yourself to the law, to connect yourself to Christ and of the law, ends up cutting you off from Christ. It's the same thing, actually, in the circumcision passage, back in Genesis 17. In Genesis 17, if you weren't circumcised, uh, and, and you were descendant of Abraham, it says, <coughs> Genesis 17, 14, but an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin... That person shall be cut off from among his people. And so it seems like Paul is using that imagery that the Jews would so well know. This is is their passage, right? This is the circumcision passage. If you're with Abraham, you will be circumcised. That's a very strong point in Genesis 17. If you're with Abraham, and we'll talk about that in a second. If you're with Abraham, you're circumcised. If you're not circumcised, you're cut off. Well, Paul says, We're not with Abraham in that physical sense. We're with Christ in the spiritual sense. And if you want to have those physical connections, if you want to have the law again, you're going to be cut off. You're severed from Christ. So just like they would say, you're cut off from Abraham if you don't get circumcised, Paul's going to say, no, you're cut off from Christ if you are. That's where... This language comes from, and then later down in verse twelve, which we'll get to in a future lesson, Lord willing, he says, "Yeah, I wish they'd just go to cutting. They want to cut, go let them cut." All right. So, if you're seeking to be justified by the law, again, that's why we said earlier we hadn't established it yet, but we went hadn't said it. Circumcision as a right of religion. Not circumcision as a cultural practice, not circumcision for health benefit, not circumcision for whatever cause someone might do it. I don't know, family tradition, whatever. Uh, Not not that kind of thing, but of, of religious benefit, of justification, doing it in a way that is religiously important and justifying. If you're going to go with the law, if you're trying to be justified by the law, you're cut off from Christ. And you're fallen from grace. So whatever grace you had in Christ, that grace is now gone because you have left the source and place of grace. And we think again, what did the law give? What kind of grace did the law give? The law condemns. The law shuts all men up under sin. The the law, (laughs) even with the sacrifices and the things of it, did not forgive outside of Christ who was coming, right? Read Hebrews 10. There's no forgiveness in the blood of bulls and goats. The forgiveness that anybody got who lived under the law is by ultimately the price paid in Christ. The sacrifice of Christ is the only sacrifice in the history of the world that saves anybody. Those who were spoken of as saved and forgiven, they, they were, that was done in prospect, knowing that Christ would come and whatever difference was made uh, lacking, that would be more than made up in Christ. And now we, we have no sacrifices. We have only Christ. But if we step away from Christ, where grace has come, right? Grace and truth are realized through Jesus Christ. That was from our Sunday sermon. The gospel is the grace of God. It is in Galatians 1, 6, the grace of Christ versus a different gospel that these were going to grace is in christ they are stepping away from christ so they're stepping under obligation under great obligation and they're stepping away from faith verse five for we through the spirit again you think about back in chapter three paul asked them did you receive the spirit through the law no you didn't even know there was a spirit through the law did you right like acts 19 when the Apostle Paul rebaptizes some uh, that have first been baptized by John the Baptist. He asked them, did you receive the Spirit when you were baptized? What did they say? We don't even know if there was a Spirit. Oh, you didn't know about the Spirit. Let me tell you about the Spirit. So, it wasn't in the law that they had the Spirit. They didn't even know about the Spirit. But now, we through the Spirit, who Jesus promised, Jesus said he would come as a comforter and conciliator, and a, uh, a counselor for us, we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Like Paul said about the Jewish folks in the book of Romans, he said they're establishing a righteousness of their own, uh, but uh, uh, it's apart uh, from the law. Uh, the, the the hope in the, in the law was Christ. They've stepped away from it. They, they've built their own, righteousness they built their own way and it's just not going to work we've got the spirit we've got the faith we've got grace and we've got hope right well in verse uh four uh what was it uh that we have uh we have grace and in verse five we have the spirit and faith and hope what do you have in the law you don't have jesus uh, you don't have the spirit you don't have Uh, faith because the faith leads you to christ and you don't have this hope for righteousness the hope of righteousness now there's a sense of which we're made righteous uh, a um, parallel word to righteousness is uh, sanctification or sanctified Uh, once (laughs) we have this double vocabulary in english but righteousness and sanctification are the same thing we are looking for this hope of righteousness. There's a sense in which we're already righteous. There's a sense in which you're made righteous as soon as you express your faith in Christ. Uh, you're made useful for God. Uh, you're, you're set aside for his service. You're one of the saints or the sanctified. You're one of the righteous people. But there's another sense in which uh, we are waiting for our sanctification. Uh, we're waiting for that. So there's, there's this yes now and not quite yet sense in christ on, on a number of things uh, on salvation itself we're waiting for the salvation to be revealed uh peter said in first uh, peter chapter one and so we're, we're waiting for salvation but we're already saved uh we're here we're waiting for the hope of righteousness though we've already been made righteous and by uh you know progressive righteousness or progressive sanctification we're we're supposed to be growing in holiness and righteousness as we go this this whole thing this yes we have it but but no we don't have it yet Uh, we have it but we're still waiting on it is expressed pretty well by the apostle Paul in another place (coughs) Philippians 3 Philippians 3 verse 7 beginning speaking of the things he left behind he said whatever these things were gained uh, to me I now count them as loss for the sake of Christ More than that, I count all things to be loss, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, and here's here's our righteousness, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, that's what these folks are doing, building their own righteousness of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And what's that quote from Psalm 32 in Romans 4? Faith is counted as righteousness, right? Also, Abraham believed God, Genesis 15:6. It was counted to him as righteousness. So it's a righteousness from God on the basis of faith, a righteousness given us. So Paul had already received that in one sense, but he also expects more of it yet to come that I may know him and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I may obtain the resurrection of the dead, not that I've already obtained it. So here's the, you know, I've got this, but I don't yet, not that I've already obtained it or have become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I reach forward to what's ahead. And so here Paul speaks about the hope of righteousness. I think he's talking about that very same thing. So by grace, by the Spirit, by faith, here we are faithfully waiting for what's coming. Again, not passively waiting but like the Apostle Paul, striving and reaching for what's coming. Did you have any of that in the law? No, you did not. In the law, you had do or don't, right? The law is kind of like, like, uh, you know, Master Yoda, do or do not. uh, There is no try, right? Did you do it or did you not? Well, so oftentimes above the law, the restrictions, the requirements, well, we didn't. And As James said, you violate one. You violated them all. You're guilty. Well, we need grace and help and hope. And that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. So verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. So there is no bonus points for being circumcised. Now, the good news is, if you're circumcised, there's no demerits either. The problem is, if you depend on that. The problem is if that's what you're going to be saved by. If you're going to be saved by a system based on what you've done, and that's part of it, it ain't getting you nowhere. But if you're going to be saved by a system of faith in Christ, whether you had been circumcised, might be circumcised, haven't been circumcised, won't ever be circumcised, don't care. Don't care. Because it means nothing. Now, again, (coughs) this is not the law. Under the the law, circumcision meant an awful, awful lot. In Genesis 17, I know we keep going back to Genesis a lot, but in Genesis 17, when God made one of his covenants, he made a number of promises and covenants to Abraham. When God made the promise to Abraham, there in that text called a covenant, when he made that covenant with Abraham and changed his name from Abram to Abraham, this is the covenant I'll make with you, Genesis, uh, Genesis 17, 4. You'll be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer will your name be Abraham, be Abram, but your name be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you throughout their generations from everlasting to everlasting to be the god Be God to you and your descendants after you. I will give you and your descendants after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. I'll be their God. God further said to Abraham, From now on you will keep my covenant and you and your descendants after you through their generations. And this is my covenant that you will keep between me and you and their descendants after you. Every male among you will be circumcised. It goes on to say, this is the sign of the covenant between me and you. Every male among you, eight days old, shall be circumcised throughout your generations. Every servant born in your house who's bought with money from a foreigner and not your descendant who's brought in. The servant born in your house or the one who's bought with money and brought into your house will be circumcised. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised of the flesh of his foreskin, that one will be cut off. He's broken my covenant could not be clearer circumcision the sign of this covenant applies to everyone uh (laughs) who who can be circumcised so every every male among them every male among them is going to be circumcised that is the covenant God made with Abram and changed his name to Abraham but you know the thing is in Christ we're not part of that we're not The place where we tie into Abraham is not in Genesis 17, but in Genesis 12. When the other part of the promise is, because there's three promises, there's the great nation promise and many descendants, there is the promise of the land, and there's a promise in you, all the nations of the earth be blessed. We're in that third part. We're in that all nations of the earth be blessed part of the covenant. We are not part of this covenant of a great Bounty of, of of people, an exceedingly fruitful uh, uh, lineage of people who will f- forever possess the land of Canaan, that everlasting covenant there we're not part of that. Best I know I'm not descended of Abraham by the flesh, and I don't have any peace or part of canaan i don't I don't even have uh, you know one of those little uh symbolic one square inch things. Or, you know, you get a deed to a piece of land in Scotland and they'll call you a Scottish earl or or Scottish nobility. And what you've really got is you've got a deed to to a piece of land in Scotland that's that big. Or like the International Star Registry in Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, They'll record in their books that some star is named after you. Oh, it's a great scam. I mean, who's going to check and who's going to object if uh, one star gets named by two people or by two registries? There's so many stars out there. Which one would be yours? And so it's not like that. It's not, I don't have any piece of Canaan even that much because I'm not a part of that promise. I'm a part of the Genesis 12 promise of all the nations be blessed. And that promise didn't come with circumcision. The physical descent by the exceeding fruitfulness of Abraham and his descendants and Canaan comes by one promise. The things of Christ come by a different promise. And so I'm sure the Jews would read that verse, Genesis seventeen fourteen, If an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised of the flesh of his foreskin is here, that person will be cut off and he's broken my covenant. You could preach that and you could make a sermon out of that of how everybody who is of Abraham and we're of Abraham by faith. We need to be circumcised too. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says that means nothing. That's a different promise for a different people, for a different thing. We're not part of that promise. And so for any Christians who think that, oh, eventually Christ is going to come back and the Christians are going to get the Holy Land. Where? How? That's not our promise. Our promise is all the nations be blessed. And Paul said that comes in and through Christ. So this circumcision business, it means nothing. And if you're trying to be saved by it, it means falling from grace and severed from Christ. But what does matter? Faith and love. But faith, working through love. What does circumcision matter? Nothing. What matters? Faith and love. And what we find is over some of these things, it must be that some brethren were not treating each other right. We'll get to that later. All right, so for tonight... We're free in Christ. We're free from the law and all its obligations. But if we want to go back to the law in some way, even the smallest things, even maybe the most, uh, you know, you think, well, how hard of a right is circumcision? Uh, Most most people don't even remember it. Uh, No, there's none of this of the law. If we're going to start binding the law, we're going to be bound up in the law. And there's no end to the things that the law binds up. And everybody who lived under it shut him up under sin, but the hope was that Christ was coming, and for those who had Christ, now that He came, and want to go back to that old disciplinarian, mm. Mm. Paul said, if you if you try to teach people that, I wish you just cut yourself off. All right, so we'll get to that part next week. So next week, more on the closing argument that the apostle Paul made to the Jewish, uh, to these folks who are trying to get people to go back under. Uh, Judaism, and those who are giving them some audience and some heed. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.